You may be seated. I have this thing I tease my wife every time we ask our dog to take a seat, it doesn't respond. So I speak to it in Hebrew and Spanish. I go, siéntate por favor, or I go, shuv a la calca, sit, sit on the floor. And she doesn't respond in English anymore because she's trilingual. She speaks multiple languages, and I'm really proud of that. I'm also very proud of this worship team as they scurry off uh, to say, you would have just... You should, have, you should have seen them two weeks ago at district council with uh, 1,200 pastors and leaders from across New England leading in that place. We're the first church in a while that had the honor of doing that. And man, I, w- I just was like, this is unbelievable. And someone came up to thank me. They went up and they were like, hey, Pastor Paul, I just want to. And then they stopped and they paused and they realized. They go, I just want to say that worship team was incredible. Thank you for bringing them, for allowing them to, to do that. And uh, I, I can't take credit for anything that they do. I believe when God is doing a work and he's building a work, he brings in people in the right time. He also purges and, and the culling, as we call it. it. But all of these things work together for the house that God's building. I believe that the greatest days of our church are ahead. And as you can see, if you look to the back, we're kind of one-third of the way there with renovations. Do you see it? Like we've got new carpet, we've got new chairs, and we've got some of the new paint. By the time you come here next Sunday, everything to my left and right back is going to be completely painted, renovated, and uh, ready for us to just kind of enjoy. It'll be, you know how you get that new car smell, that new carpet kind of smell? And uh, we'll just continue spraying that until to keep the scent around, but it's wonderful. We'll still have some renovation in back of me taking place. Can I tell you what? It's not as important that a cross is on a wall as much as the cross is in your heart and in your life, amen, and that the Holy Spirit is there with us, and so we'll figure out the arrangements for all of the church paraphernalia, but can we just know that, like, there's nothing special about this building, that you and I are the sanctuary, we're the temple of the Holy Spirit, and God dwells within us, amen? Amen. And uh, so we're going to let let things move along here but pray for me I've been uh everything the painter is a current pastor a good friend of mine Nero Da Silva and the carpet individual some of you know Enzo Rocca and he's been laying in the carpet they have been wonderful to work with but when I tell you every other thing that we've been working with has been just a nightmare and I've spent full time in the office working on renovations and full-time with every other spare minute working on church-related stuff. I'm kind of surprised I have a good word from God for you today because I don't know where where it came from. Uh, I I do have a cold. Everyone go, aw. I'm such a baby. I'm baby of the family, by the way, and I married a firstborn. So when I get sick, I'm like, I need some soup. She goes, be a man, get to work. (laughs) Firstborns and babies of the family work for some things, not for all. So that's, that's where we are today. Now, this morning here, I believe I don't just have a word from God, I'd call it an oracle. I feel like God wants to speak deep into us as a church this morning. I believe that it's very timely in the culture that we live in. Uh, And we're returning back to our series here that we've been talking about called the original spoken word. It's just kind of a play we're doing, you know, rappers have the spoken word and you know, I remember a day where there was music and melody to songs, and then all of a sudden now somebody could get up there and go, yo, 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 yo. And it's like, okay, no, man, that's serious. He's throwing down serious truth. He's throwing down serious truth, okay. And so th- they're throwing down stuff, and I, I just began to think in terms of the prophets before any of them were around, there were the prophets, and talk about throwing down truth. They threw it all over the place. Uh, and today's prophet that we, we've started with Jonah, we've covered Joel, 
We've talked about Obadiah. Today we're going to talk about Amos this week and next. And then on Father's Day, we're bringing in a very special guest and friend. His name is Greg Hubbard. He's an incredible evangelist. He goes around and speaks to crowds of 100,000 around the world. And he always comes back to New England and speaks to churches of 300 like ours. And he will be our guest speaker for Father's Day. And I am incredibly excited because he's almost impossible to book. And we've got him. And once you get his, his foot in the door, he keeps coming back. And besides that, um, I'm looking forward to seeing uh, me outdo all of you on the mechanical bull. I'm ready. We will allow the ladies to ride the mechanical bull, but that will be after the fact. So, so we welcome you out to that. And today we're going to start with the book of Amos. Before we do that, let me just give you an idea of who Amos was. Amos is not a prophet in the sense that he goes to Bible college, becomes licensed, becomes ordained, and then goes into the ministry. No. Amos is like you and I in that he had a job, he worked, but he loved God with all his heart. He loved God's word with all of his heart. And because he was a man that was in the presence of God and in the word of God, and the presence of God and the word of God was within him, God said, there's a need, I need someone to be a voice, and I'm going to send you, Amos, if you're willing to go. So Amos, who's living right outside of Jerusalem, he did two things. He tended sheep, but he also tended the sycamore fig. It says, I was neither a prophet nor the son of a prophet, but I was a, a herdsman, a shepherd, or he was a, she he was a shepherd, and I tended the sycamore fig. He says, but the Lord said, go and prophesy. So I went and prophesied. He's your man. He's our man. He's my man. He's that example that says that if you are in the word of God and God's word is in you, if you are in the presence of God and God's presence is in you, God can use you. And I wish that every single one of you would have a word from God. I do. But word has to be backed up with fruit of the spirit. It has to be backed with fruit of the spirit. And what I love about Amos is that in order for a fig to be worthy of eating, it has to be ripened. But in order to ripen it, you have to poke it with one of these hooks. And that's what Amos did for a living. He would take his hook and he would poke a hole inside that fig and would wait and it would begin to ripen. It wasn't until it was properly pierced that it could be properly harvested. And I thought, what an analogy. Who better to speak a prophetic word on behalf of God Almighty than somebody who could say, I understand your life. I understand where you're at. Not only that, but understood what it was to be a shepherd. The only three great kings of Israel, Abraham as the Bedouin king, Moses as the assistant to the king of kings, and David, all of the three greatest people in Israeli history were shepherds. And Amos uniquely is one of the shepherd prophets. He falls in this category. You ever notice when you uh, talk to somebody who's highly educated like me, sometimes I have to over-explain things and go through it, but when you talk to like a carpenter or you talk to somebody who works with something, you're like, hey, I was thinking, they're like, yeah, 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 I got it. I got it. And this is kind of like Amos. Amos has got it, and he's going to pass it to the people of God. Here's the interesting thing about God's word and about God's prophets and God's truth. God does not throw truth at us to shame us and to hurt us, but he is willing to poke us if it will help us ripen. He is willing to shepherd us if we will follow his lead. And this is what the whole life and lifestyle of Amos was dedicated to. Stepping into ministry was just natural. 
natural. And the title of my message today, and you'll understand why as we get to the second half of this message, is simply this. When earth told heaven to shut up. (laughs) Thank you for that laugh, but in all seriousness, though, when earth told heaven, shut up. Shut up. I say that reverently, but I can't think of any other way to pose where this message leads than that. So, Father, right now, in the name of Jesus, across this room, (laughs) we pray. Your figs, your fruit, she'd pierce us, and that we would ripen, and we would be used for your glory and your honor. In Christ's name, everybody said, amen. Now, here's the thing about the prophets. They're the least read and the least understood books in the entire Bible. We have a, a, a rhythm here. We actually look an entire year out when it comes to preaching. We know who's going to preach with the exception of a few dates, a whole year in advance. But what we do is, is we pray and we say, God, where do, you want in, where do you want us in your word? And so we, Pastor Dylan, myself, others, we, we kind of say, Lord, where, where do you want us? And so we pick a genre, we pick, a, we pick something. And so we felt God leading us in the direction of the prophets. And so really, for most of the year, we'll continue through this. However, when holidays happen, Father's Day, Easter, Christmas, we'll pause Every once in a while, though, God gets, God, listen, we're not locked into anything. God gets to speak a timely message, and he gets to interrupt what we do, and we've had some of those messages. I feel that in this, after we do Amos here, we may start after Father's Day a short series of what I'm titling Respectable Sins. And the reason I want to talk about that is that I feel prompted of the Holy Spirit to talk in terms of fruit of the Spirit, the acts of the sinful nature, and begin to talk a bit about that because when you talk about sin right I could sit here and I could talk about prostitute and every once in a while on a Sunday morning it's relevant to somebody in the crowd I could talk about heroin addiction and every once in a while uh, or even on a regular basis it might be relevant to someone in the crowd but then we begin to view people in those kind of sins and we say boy they're really bad boy they need Jesus thank goodness I'm not like that sinner that tax collector and we don't realize that the seven deadly sins are not are not uh they're not murder and drug addiction and prostitution they're things like gossip and slander and wrath and envy and all of these kind of things and sometimes what happens is is they conceal themselves in our life and we move forward not realizing that inside of us is a cancer in remission designed to destroy the fruitfulness of what god would want to do to and more importantly through our lives as a community so i want you to be praying with me as we begin to consider and ponder that And join me as we go into the book of Amos here. Amen? Just giving you a heads up, right? Where we're going with that. Now, here's the interesting thing. If I were to hand you Amos chapter 1 and 2, you'd read it and it'd sound like... It'd sound like white noise. But here's what I want to do. Fortunately, my education every once in a while can serve us. And I just want to show you on a map everywhere they're talking about and why. The the prophet Amos walks in to the kingdom and and he has one of the shortest jobs of ministry in the history of all the prophets we believe it might be as little as two months where people like isaiah had 20 years this guy comes in he has two months the the shortest 
time frame to deliver a message. So I picture him saying, you know what? Hey, let's get the sheep over here. I've got a little bit before harvest. I got two months to work with. I'll put together all my, my sick time and all my days off. I'm going to go up north. I'm going to speak this message. And then I'm going to come back and it's back to the job, okay? So he goes, but bing, but bong, but a speak, but a done. And he goes back and it's just boom, boom. So he doesn't have time to waste. But here's what he does is, is he comes in right from the beginning and he says, God is a just and impartial God. And he is going to judge the earth with justice and impartiality. In other words, he doesn't have favorites. And he goes, let me tell you what he's going to do. And he comes in and he kicks open the door. He begins with these two phrases to everything that he prophesies. Every nation, he says, God's going to judge. He says, for, two, for three sins of this nation and for four, I will not relent the judgment. And then he says what they did. And then afterwards, he says this, and I will send fire and devour so he goes in and he says, hey, Russia, for three sins that you've done and four, I imagine he could have found 3,000 or 4,000, but he says, even if for three, even if for four, this is what I'm going to do. This is how I'm going to judge him. This is why I'm sending fire. So he walks in the door and he goes, boom, he goes to Damascus, which are the Syrians, to the Philistines, which is Gaza. Tyre. Sometimes he uses a capital city instead of the nation, but all of this is in there. And he says, hey, these guys in the north, he says, I am going to punish them because for three sins and four of, of Damascus, I will not relent the punishment because they have threshed Gilead with threshing sledges of iron. Now here's where when I say as a pastor to you, as you begin to read the prophets, and we hope that you do, as you begin to read them every once in a while, they take for granted to think that you understand the metaphors that they're using, the tools that they work with. The, they assume that you have the first five books of the Old Testament memorized like any good uh, Orthodox Jewish kid would have memorized, the Pentateuch. They assume that you know the kings of Israel, but in the day that we live in, we don't have that kind of biblical literacy naturally. We have to grow grow into it and fight for it. But here's, here's what's interesting. Let me just show you what he means by this. In simple, I'll say this. He's saying, when you went to war with them, you were way over the top. In fact, you were like a terrorist to them. When you harvest wheat, they put it in the middle and they get pitchforks. They throw it up in the air because as you throw it up, the wheat is heavy and it falls to the ground, but the chaff is light and it blows away. This is called separating the wheat from the chaff. You have different ways of doing this, but before you do that, you take out what is called a threshing sledge. You get an animal and you stand on the cart and underneath that cart are rocks, usually flint knives, and it cuts up the grain so that when you throw it up in the air, you have separated the wheat from the chaff by cutting it. Now you can separate it by winnowing it. You track that? That's what they do. So he's basically saying, you didn't just use a sledge, you used a sledge of iron and you came back again and again and again and again and again and again and again. It's like you knock the guy out and you're lifting his head off the ground and still hitting him. It's like he's out. It's like it doesn't matter. It's the principle. Oh, yeah? Well, for three sins, I will, four, I will not relent the punishment, for you threshed my people like with a threshing sledge of iron. He goes on to other nations. He says, hey, Philistines, for three sins and four, I will not relent the punishment. I will send fire upon you. He goes on and he says to the Phoenicians, to the city of Tyre, he says, for three sins, and for four, I will not relent the punishment. 
Because you did this, I will send fire upon you. He continues and he goes to the Edomites. We talked about them just last week, uh, talking about Obadiah. And for them, because they're brothers of the Israelites, and yet they betrayed them and they sold them into slavery and they cut them down and murdered them in cold blood. He says, for three sins of the Edomites and for four, I will not relent the punishment because they sold their brother in slavery. Therefore, I will send fire upon them. And then he switches over to Ammon. Ammon and Moab, these two countries, are cousins of the Israelites and they're cousins of everybody there. These are the only nations that God said, when you take the land, take everything, but leave these three alone. They're your relatives, treat them right. He says to them, he says, Ammon, for three sins and four, I will not relent the punishment because you had ripped open pregnant women in Gilead. Poor Gilead, they get it from Damascus in the north, they get it from Ammon in the south. Have you ever felt like in your life you were under such difficulty, you're like, will someone please give me a break? Just as soon as one problem ends over here, it starts over there, and you're like, what in the world's going on? And it's like evil just rises up on all sides. And that's what happened to this group of Israelites who were in that way. Just no sooner did it end with them, it began with them. And no sooner did they do it, they overdid it, and they made it worse and worse, and it became more difficult for the people of God. And even the Moabites began, they began to turn on each other. And he says, for three sins and four, I will not relent the punishment. And then he turns to the people of Israel. Now, if you notice, Israel has a little spot below it called Judah. Most of you understand this, but just to get us on the same page, let me help you understand something. There was only really one phase in Israel history where it was a united kingdom, and it was under King David. When they had all of the territory that God said that they would have through Joshua, it was through David. No sooner did David die, Solomon takes over. And what does he do? He has all of the wisdom, none of the understanding, none of the practices of his heart and his life, and he just takes the whole kingdom south into idolatry. He has 999 too many wives. He has 999 too many gods. And all of a sudden, you begin to see the corrosion of the kingdom. David's grandson, Rehoboam, comes on the scene. And being ignorant and foolish, he tries to pummel the people. And therefore, the kingdom splits in two. From that moment forward, for over a thousand plus years, Israel will have two kings. You'll have the king of Judah and the king of Israel. When the prophets show up on the scene, they always announce, in the year of King Uzziah of Judah and King Jehu of Israel. It's almost like, why are they mentioning two kings? It's because of this phenomena. Because almost every single prophet, when they prophesied, there were always two kings. They were always divided. That's how Satan wins church. He divides it. He splits it. We're the only country in the world that actually thinks that you can separate church and state. It's funny, when I talk to my friends in the Middle East, they kind of laugh. They're like, you guys are delusional. I think he says, your, your country worships uh, agnosticism and atheism you, you don't think there's religion at work in there it's it's the anti-religion he goes but you can't separate church and state the kings of the of israel in the northern part of the kingdom they were smart enough they got this and they said if we don't create a place for people to worship they will go back to jerusalem and the kingdom will reunite how terrible is that to think that you need to set up a religious system and a place to worship so that you can make sure that god's church is not unified that's what they did. So they, they said, listen, 
church in the north is better than anywhere because you don't have one place to worship. You've got two. You can go to Dan in the north or you can go to Bethel, the house of God in the south. And Bethel was where Jacob saw the ladder of angels ascending and descending. And they said, this must be a holy spot. Let's slap an altar here. Let's slap an altar in Dan up there. And then anywhere from the top of the country to the bottom of the country, church now was convenient, easy, and you could live stream it wherever you wanted. You don't even have to go in the building. And can I just tell you something real quick? Church is not church unless you're interacting with people and with the human element. I usually pick up the Bible and read now in the print form. Not that I don't think that I can read it digitally, but you know what happens when I start reading it digitally? Bing! Someone starts texting me. Boop! I want to check my email. I get a phone call and now all of a sudden I'm all over the place and I said you know what Lord you deserve my undivided attention I don't believe in the myth of multitasking it's just divided attention you can do a lot of things at time same time but it's not that you're doing them good and if a car comes sideways you get hit anyway so I put the thing down I will not text and drive in Jesus name amen and I will not read God's word and text at the same time you have my undivided attention Lord and he turns now from all of these nations to Israel and he says, for three punishment, for, for three sins and four, I will not relent the judgment. Why? Like, these are God's people. This is church. Like, wait a second, God. Like, why are you judging them? Why are you going to judge God's people? They're your people. Why? Because God is a just and impartial God. Because God is a just and impartial God. I need a Savior as much as you do. I need God to correct me in my sin and my attitude as much as you do. I need repentance and forgiveness in my life as much as you do. And when I say you do, I don't only mean the people in this building. I mean the people yet to become a part of this church, a part of this building that maybe are addicted, that maybe are a wreck, that have no idea who Jesus is. We all need a savior. And I am not exempt from God's justice and judgment because it is impartial. But God, I'm a king's kid. Yep, all the more. Why, I will speak into your life, Paul. He turns to them and he says this. I'm going to hand it over to you now. Thank you, Flavia. He says, problem number one. Here's Amos. He comes in. He says, I only got a couple of weeks off from, from the office, so I'm going to make this quick. Problem number one, you got too many gods, too many altars. The people had a saying, as the God of Dan lives, the way of the patriarchs, all this kind of stuff. And he's like, man, and this is in fact one of the altars when we go to Israel um, this is one of the places we go where it's like that. And he says this, he says, those who swear by the guilt of Samaria and the God of Dan lives and the way of Beersheba lives, they shall fall and never rise again. Then he turns his attention to Bethel, which is the very place where Amos will go and prophesy. And he says, in that day, I will punish Israel for its transgression. I will punish the altars of Bethel and the horns of the altar shall be cut off and shall fall to the ground. So they've got a serious idolatry problem. It looks like they're worshiping God, but they're not doing worship for God, God's way, God's intended prescribed manner, which was when you go, you go to Jerusalem and you worship in the place that I will show you, which was there. And here now they turn and he turns his attention. He says, there's another problem you guys have here in, in the church. He says, he says, you've got too much and it's not that you have too much that's the problem. The problem is, is that you think and care too little for the people that are in desperate need. It's not that you have too much that's the problem. It's that you think too little of the people who are desperate and in need. He says this, he says, I will strike the winter house along with the summer house and the house of ivory shall perish and the great houses shall come to an end, declares the Lord. That's uh, Amos 3.15. And I've 
thinking as I was reading that, I was thinking of the verse that says, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain. Does it matter what I do with my resource, how I do that? You know what? I don't want my possessions to possess me. There are times in my life where I've had a lot, and there are times in my life where I've had little, but I've always made it the prayer and the deed of my life to say, God, please help me not to let my possessions possess me. There is nothing wrong with having good. There is something very wrong if in the good that you have that you do no good for those that desperately need it. This is why we support missions. This is why we do the things that we do. He goes on and he says this in Amos 6, 4 through 7. He says, Woe to those who lie in beds of ivory and stretch themselves out on their couches, who sing idle songs to the sound of the harp like David and invent for themselves instruments of music, who drink bowls of wine and anoint themselves with the finest of oil, but, and here's the reason why I say there's nothing wrong with all these things, but are not grieved over the ruin of Joseph. Therefore, they shall be the first of those who go into exile. There is nothing wrong with having stuff and things. Hear me. There is nothing wrong with being blessed and being a blessing. Some of the most generous people I have ever met in my entire life are wealthy people. But can I also say something? Some of the most generous people that I've ever met in my life have been poor people. Some of the stingiest people I have met in my life have been rich people. Some of the stingiest people I've met in my life have been poor people. The question is, is who's your God? The problem with these people is not that they had, it's what they didn't have in their heart was compassion, mercy, that turned into action, that turned into support, that turned into helping the cause of the kingdom, helping the people that it's trying to help. They ignored those things, and because of it, they put themselves in a position where God was saying, have you read my word? And if you've read it, do you believe what I say? Are my priorities your priorities? Are my thoughts your thoughts? Are my ways your ways? And the answer to that is no. Jeremiah said, the heart is wicked and beyond cure. Who can know it? My thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so are my thoughts above your thoughts and my ways above your ways. I've come to learn something about God just when I think that him and I are in a consensus and I open up his book and I begin to read something, he turns the light on and shows me my blind spot. And then I have a choice. Do I conform God's word to suit my thinking? Or do I conform my life to be in alignment with the God of the book because I have before me the book of my God? I mean, that's almost rhetorical. But why? It's because we need God's word in our life. Let me tell you what, there are times where I've picked up this book and God has just cut me to the heart or he's encouraged me to the, to the, to the depths of my soul depending on what I need. There's a verse in Hebrews chapter 4, 12. It says this, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Listen, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The samurai were some of the greatest warriors throughout history. I don't know if you've ever seen like these, there's a show where they pit warriors like Spartans versus Swordmaster. I don't know. That's what I do with my downtime history channel. Get stuck there. Spartans versus samurai and all that. But the one thing about the samurai that they always did, whenever their intention was to kill you, they looked you in the eye, they held up their sword, and they did this. And it was very evident 
right? It was very evident. Their intention was, I'm going to kill you. The samurai never stabbed in the back. They looked you in the face and announced to you their intentions. Can I tell you, God will never stab you in the back. But his word is sharp and it cuts and it trims. But here's the thing, it's not only that it's cutting and trimming, it's living and it's active, which means that there's a life behind God's word. And in fact, first, 2 Timothy 3.16 says it like this, all scripture is breathed out by God. It's profitable for teaching, reproving, correcting, training in righteousness that the man and the woman of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Here's the thing, it's God breathed. That breath is the same breath that God gave to Adam and Eve, the breath of life that God breathes in. And maybe some of you are in this church and you remember a time in your life when you used to open up God's word and it would breathe encouragement into your spirit. It breathed hope into your soul. That This book is different from any other book. I keep talking about it, but this book is different from any other book because it is not like an average book where you just read it and go blah, 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 blah. But if you allow the God of the book as well as the book of this God to speak into your heart, it will change you. It will transform you. It will challenge you. It will correct you. It will speak to you. And the problem that I see in the 21st century, in the day that I live in, I look around me and I see a lot of people wearing the title Christian, but they are not in the book and their behavior shows it. Because I say, if they were reading that book in this moment and read that truth at this moment, they would know that that behavior, that sin, that issue, that perspective, whatever, is totally irrelevant. That's their thoughts. That's their ways. God totally would say it needs to be this way. And so what does God do? Turn with me to Amos chapter 8. Amos chapter 8. He sends Amos. Says Amos, I need a man that will get right to the point. You're my guy. I'll get you out of there in two months because if you hang around, they'll probably kill you for it. But let me send you in and let me let you let it rip. You're a guy that gets it. You'll say it direct and you'll go out. And so Amos comes in and he does and he says it direct. But all of a sudden he doesn't become popular anymore. And so Amos chapter 8 verse 11. One of the priests in Bethel. There's the problem right there. The priest in Bethel. The problem is, is that there shouldn't have been a priest in Bethel. Priests were only in Jerusalem. There was a priest in Bethel. Behold the days are coming declares the Lord. When I will send a famine on the land. Not a famine of bread. Not a thirst of water but of the hearing of the words of the Lord. They shall wander from sea to sea, from the north to east, and they shall run to and fro and seek the word of the Lord, but they shall not find it. God basically said, this charade is over. I'm going silent. Some of you, I, I just feel the Holy Spirit really leading me here to speak directly to some of you and I'm not thinking of anyone's names or faces so I'm just going to look all over the place God knows some of you in this room there was a time when you used to be in God's word and you would open it and God would speak into your life and you had a word from God and you were able to do that but it has been so long since you have heard from God it is like a famine in your life Look at what God says here in Hosea chapter 4 verse 6. He says, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I reject you from being my pr uh, priest to me. Since you have forgotten the law of your God, I will also forget your children. Man, this is a warning to us. 
when we don't have the God of the book and the book of the God in our life, when we don't do what Psalm 1 says, meditate on a day and night, when we prefer, when we prefer our words and our thoughts above God's words and his thought, it has a generational domino effect. And I believe it's a warning that God is trying to remind us that your conformity to God's word will determine how you set the table for the next generation. Do you want them to be gossips and slanderers? Or do you want them to be worshipers and praisers? Do you want them to have an anger problem? Or do you want them to have a hope problem? You will set the table for the next generation. And if we ignore the authority of God's word in our life, it'll be absent from our children and our children's children. We keep track of attendance. We count people because people count. That's what we tell ourselves at LEAF, right? We keep track of people because we believe that when God said honor the Sabbath, it means something. And so what we've noticed, it used to be that Father's Day, right? This is typical Father's Day. Hey, da Dad, what do you want to do for Father's Day? Ah, just give me that remote. We'll cook some stuff on the grill. But when, mom when Mother's Day came around, what would mom say? What do you want to do for Mother's Day, mom? She'd be like, we're going to church. You're going to church. And then mom would, how many of you had one of those moms? She dragged you to church. You didn't want to go to church on Mother's Day. She dragged you to church and you do it. Do you know what the phenomenon is now? Mother's Day and Father's Day. The reason why we kind of ramp up what we do is because all of a sudden there's this phenomenon. Moms don't want to go to church any more than dads do. Because the word of, the people are not in the word of God and the God of the word is therefore not in them. Now here, understand me, some of you are like, well, I was there. What'd you tell me? No, listen. Stuff happens, families come and go, and that kind of thing. But I'm talking to a spirit that is settled upon the church. At least I can speak to America, where people are not in the word, and they're not in worship, and they are devaluing, and they're scaling down so that they're moving things around, and, and Jesus is just not central anymore. And here's the thing that scares me. I see a generation that does not have the word of the Lord. What scares me even more is, is that I can count on one hand the mature, solid, old saints in this church. I remember a day where there were men and women of God that used to be the people in the church when you came forward to get prayed for. They were the ones that were there. In fact, you wanted to be the one that, that they prayed for. Because I see less and less men and women of God that are in line saying, make me that person so that I can be that person of legacy. Let the God of the word be in my life and let the word of God be in my life. Make me that person that you want me to be, God. We have generations that cannot find a word from God. And listen, we have a saying in our leadership team in this church. It's that you you are never too late to be the person God intended you to be. It's never too late to be the person that you should have been. And I believe in my heart, listen, I ain't telling you, I don't even call this a word. I have an oracle of warning and concern in my heart. I believe that there are dangerous days ahead for us and that if we do not learn how to hear from God for ourselves, in the day of abundance and blessing, when we go to look for the word of the Lord, it will not be found for us. If you ignore God in the time of blessing and you just run to church because you have a crisis, there's nothing wrong with that. But if that's what you think Christianity is, you're missing the whole point. Jesus does not do crisis Christianity. He does crisis intervention, but he does not do crisis Christianity. 
But here's the other side to this. I believe with all of my heart we have a promise from God that says that if we will get into the book of God and God's, the God of the book will come into us, if we get into the presence of God, God's presence will get inside of us. When you look for a word in that desperate hour, you'll have it and you'll hear it and God will speak very directly into your life. There's a, there's a sobering... I don't, I, actually, this is a good spot for this. Stephen, are you here? Is somebody here? Could you just do round two again? I'm sorry for calling on you while you're sitting next to your sister who you haven't seen in half a year because she got in trouble and so her parents sent her around the world on a missions trip so she'd get her life right. Uh, how many countries did you visit? Four countries. Four countries. We'll look forward to hearing about that. But here's, here's, what, I want you to, here's what I want you to see. This is an ancient Near Eastern lantern, but it's got a birthday candle, because if I did it with oil, it would just make a lot of smoke. When you are not in God's word, you just create problems for yourself that you just don't even begin to understand. David said it like this, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Now, if you look outside, you can look at a path, the road that's out there, and it's as clear as day. You can see the road that's in front of you. But when everything goes dark, it says that God's word is a lamp to your feet. What does that mean? I can't see everywhere I need to go. And can I just tell you, God, do, God is not going to explain everything to you for his approval and for your approval. He's God, you're not. But he'll, sometimes what he'll do is, is he'll light the lamp of his word. And you'll, all you'll be able to see is the first step. And you'll take it. And you know what that first step will be? It'll be the step that brings you to where you can see the next step to take. And then you'll be able to see the next step. There are times where God's word is a lamp, a light to our path. But really, when things go dark, it's a lamp to our feet. And if you're not in that word, you're stumbling all over the place. If you only have a relationship with God when it's sunny and bright, when you engage the word of God, when everything's clear and good, you miss it for its most important moment and hour when all lights have gone out. God gives you a light for your path. You can turn those back on, Steve. Oh, thank you. In 1 Samuel 3, Samuel's a boy and he's dropped off at church to be raised. That was the promise his mother made was, God, if you give me a son, I'll give him to you all the days of your life, of his life. He's yours. You can do with him. So she drops him off at church. It just so happens that it couldn't have been a worse time to send a kid to be trained in church because Eli and his sons were the, the worst priests you'd ever meet. Just goes to show that it doesn't matter what's going on around you as much as what's going on inside of you. And Samuel was sleeping and all of a sudden he heard Eli call him. Samuel, Samuel. He gets up, he's like, hey, you called me. And he said, I didn't call you. He goes back, Samuel, Samuel. He comes back and he goes, you called me. And he, it finally, a third time happens, Eli realizes God's calling the kid. He says to him, next time you hear my voice, know that it's the Lord and say, speak for your servant is listening. So he does. And God gives him this direct, powerful, hard word. And Samuel became one of the great prophets in all of Israel. You have Moses, you have Elijah, you have Samuel. But Samuel, it says this, and look at this. It says it in 1 Samuel chapter 3 through verse 1 of chapter 4. 
The Lord appeared again at Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh, listen to this, by the word of the Lord. And now look at the byproduct. God is revealing himself to Samuel, how? By God's word. And then look at what happens right afterwards. It says, and then the words of Samuel came to all Israel. Do you know how you get a word from God? You get in God's word. Listen, I don't need anyone to run up to me and give me a prophecy that says, hey, and three, you know, go, go here and do this and do that. I've got everything I need within this book. Now, God sometimes occasionally does that. We are a church that embraces the gifts of the Spirit, and we totally believe in that. But you, you need to be somebody that has proven yourself that you have the fruit of the Spirit to back the gift of the Spirit. And if not, we say not now, not, not yet, not no forever but that you would just grow and you would develop because you can totally redirect somebody's life in a bad way. I, I, it would be like if somebody came up to, to someone and said, hey, Junior, someone was like, the Lord told me to tell you that God wants you and your family to go to California. You know what the kind of person Junior is? He's like, bet, I love the Lord with all my heart. I'm ready. He's, his whole love for Jesus is on your mark, go get set. And then all of a sudden he's in California, he's in LA, and then I get a phone call. And he's like, hey, Pastor Paul, I need some help because like we're in Los Angeles and we we're, 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 we don't have a place to stay. And like, you, you, why are you out in California, Junior? Well, someone came up to me with a word from God and said that I needed to do this and needed to do that. And I'm like, whoa, 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 that's not the kind of words that we get in this church. Now, that's not the kind of person Junior is. He's a discerning person. But do you see the point of why I say what I say? That's why we need God's word. The Bible says this, test all things, prove all things. Those things are important. Otherwise, somebody is out in the middle of nowhere, and they're, I don't know why I said California. I love California, by the way. I'd rather be in San Diego, baby. Yeah, 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 yeah. Don't give, don't give Cali a bad rap there. We get good people from there. But do you see my point? You need the God of the Word in your life, and that comes from the Word of God being in your life. And when Samuel heard from God as a prophet, he heard from God as a prophet because God revealed himself through his Word. It has been so rare. It says this at the beginning of that chapter. In Samuel's day, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. Where are all the saints? Adam, remember this church? When there were godly men and women that were like, hey, the Lord spoke to me and said, you need to do this or you need to get over here to prayer. Where are they? Where are you? You know what happens to us as Christians? When we get out of God's word and God's word gets out of us, we get out of God's presence and God's presence gets out of us, we begin to just go through the motions of church and the religion of church and we miss the fact that God is a living, active God with a living, active word who can speak into the here and now and into the today. And we miss and then all of a sudden church becomes boring and church becomes uh, irrelevant to us because we haven't tapped into the God of the voice and the voice of God. We need Godly men and women that can hear from God for themselves, that can know the voice of the Lord, that can share the voice of the Lord, that can be those people that have a fruit that matches up with the gift. We need mature saints. We need vision from God. I wish that every single one of you had a prophetic ministry that heard clear from God and could speak a direct, I say the Lord. But man, it's been so long since I've heard one. I'll never forget, it was at Times Square Church and there was this old lady that used to pray for people. My friend Shermaine, that, that was like home base for her. And she was telling a joke about this one lady who she was, I mean, she was like one of those like 85-year-old saints. God bless your heart. I, I feel 50 sometimes. And like, I, I'm like, what am I going to be at 60? What am I going to be at 70? She was walking all the time, going to church. She was singing. She was blessing God. And one thing she always had in her hand was her Bible. 
always. Like whenever there was a down moment, she was in it. And then all of a sudden they, at church, they would have this time where people would come forward and pray like how we do from time to time. And as she was up there, this kid came up to her and was like, sister, I just, I just don't feel God no more. And she was like, mm, well, we can change that. She was that kind of saint. She's like, we can change that. I just don't feel him. I don't hear him anymore. She's like, well, well what are you reading in the Bible right now? And he goes, well, I ain't reading my Bible these days. You know what she did? She picked up her Bible that she carries around. She hit him in the head. Boom! She starts hitting him again. She goes, boom! She goes, read the word, brother! Boom! Read the word! Boom! Read the word! The kid ran away from the altar. She's like, what do you think you're going to hear from God? Get in the word! And can I just lovingly pick up a Bible in my heart and just hit you upside the head? Those of you that are sitting around saying, I don't hear from God. I'm like, no wonder. Read the word! Read the word! Read the word! God has said everything he's ever going to say, and it's in this page. But let me tell you what, I just want to disagree with some of you to think that God doesn't move spiritually, prophetically. His voice is alive and well and living and active. And let me tell you what, I was a junkie. I was a train wreck. It was the spiritual gifts of God that spoke into my life and changed me. It wasn't somebody getting up there going, let's do an expository Bible study. It was somebody that had a word from God. We need it more than ever before. How many of you want a word from God for your life? How many of you want to hear what the Lord has to say to you? How many of you want to be able to hear God's voice in back of you saying, that's the way, walk in it? That's why we need to be in the word. Not everybody wants God's word. And so what happens? God sends a famine. There was a king and one of the kings of Israel, when Jeremiah came in, he sent his scribe that wrote all of his words down. And he said, go read this before the king. And the Bible says that the king took it out of the scribe's hand. And every time he got done reading a column, he took it and he tossed it in the fire. And then he read another column and he took it and he tossed it in the fire. And then he read another column and he took it and he tossed it in the fire. He's saying, yeah, this stuff's trash. We don't need it. We've got a good thing going here business is booming life is great my goodness we're in a culture there isn't listen i would not begin to compare you not picking up your bible to that but that is the evil society with which we live i'll never forget when i was at bible college there was a guy by the name of dick eastman and they would send teams of people around the world to pray and they were in romania when they were in romania they were out my story's getting tweaked as my memory's coming with it, but it went like this. The daughter was out. They were praying in the streets at this one place, and all of a sudden she just felt like God spoke to her and said, grab, grab the seed. She just kind of grabbed it, plant the seed. She just dug a little hole. She put it in there. She covered it up, and they just began to pray in that spot. And the reason they were doing this is because this was a country where the gospel is not allowed, not welcomed. In fact, Ceausescu which you go from time to time to Hungary in that region of the world, Ceausescu, what, Nicholas Ceausescu vowed that he would remove the Bible and the memory of Jesus and everyone who served him from the face of the earth. And so he set out to kill every Christian in his country, believed that he would kill everybody across the world. That was his vow. And so that night, the, the girl went back to her hotel and she woke up in the middle of the night and the spirit of God was on her and she began to pray and she was like, God, she just, she, she had a dream of all of the horrible things that this man had done, all the torture he was responsible for and began to pray. And some of you come from countries like Liberia or Nigeria or uh, Democratic Republic of Congo. You have seen the face of war. You have seen some things that people should not have seen. Some of you have served in places like Vietnam or in Iraq or Afghanistan. You've seen things. You've seen the face of war. You've seen things you should 
shouldn't see. And you know the ugliness of it. And in the middle of the night, this girl saw that. And she saw all of the evil that he was doing to the country. And she began to pray a prayer. She started saying, God, I pray that if you can't change him, remove him. That you would take him out. That you would kill him. That you would... She started praying this. Not a good thing to pray in a country where the dictator's in charge. She began to pray that. And then all of a sudden, it just lifted. And everybody was like, what in the world was that? I don't know, but it just interrupted my 3 a.m. sleep. The next day they turn on the news and right there in the spot in the square where she dug and buried that little kind of seed, Ceausescu, the dictator, was shot and executed. And that day forward, the entire nation was free. Let me tell you what, there are many people throughout history who have said that they will make this book and its memory disappear and the God and the people that serve him disappear. But you can't stop God and you can't stop his word. And let me tell you something, you need... Maybe we won't see that kind of thing in our country. Maybe we will. But I'll tell you what, there's a darkness coming. I feel a warning in my heart to you as your pastor to speak to you. There is a darkness that is coming. And if you do not get that lamp working in your light, you're going to be walking into some problems. God wants his people in the word of God. God wants the God of the word in their life. And his word is your lamp. It's the feet. It's, the, it's, it's, it's our life. It's our life. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. And here's, here's the promise. You know, it's like, Pastor, thanks a lot. <laughs> Everything's going to just go terrible, and it's all going to end, and have a nice day. And No, no, no. That's not how God works. There's always hope. There's always promise. There's always a powerful promise that God has for it. And I feel like I've come off my knees and into this place, and that God has a promise for us. And it's this, that if you will get in his word and get in his presence on a daily basis, and you will allow the God of the universe to speak into your life, you are going to begin to hear the word of the Lord like never before in your life, that he is going to begin to give you bread daily, that you are going to begin to hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it, that while when all lights have gone out, his light, his, his word will light a path for you in ways that other people around you won't experience. When everyone else is wandering in confusion, you're going to have an uncanny clarity because the God of the book will be in you because the book of the God was inside of you and God will speak once again to you clearer than he has ever spoken before. That he, he wants to talk to you. That my, my promise, I feel in my heart, my promise God is saying is this, that if you will get into my word, I will get into your life in a way that you have never, ever experienced before. And the Bible says that the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn. It grows brighter to the noonday, that your way is going to be clear. Well, I don't know. I just can't. You know what? I'm just going to ignore it. That was the problem of Israel. That was the problem of Judah. In fact, if you read right in the opening passages of Scripture, God says to Judah this, he says, for three sins and four, I will not relent on the punishment for Judah has ignored my law and despised my statutes. Therefore, I will send fire. It blows my mind to think the God of the universe, the just, impartial God, judges a nation for ripping open pregnant women for territory, judges another nation for excessively torturing a group of people, and then turns to his own people and says, and for you, you haven't opened my book. It blows my mind that a God, a loving God like this would speak such a hard word. You know what Peter said? 
Jesus went up to him, he said, he gave a word and, and everyone's like, this is a hard word, we can't take it. And everybody started splitting in that moment. And then he turned to Peter, he said, he said, you're gonna leave me too, Peter? And Peter said, where are we gonna go? You have the words of life. Listen, God, like Amos, with his word, is not afraid to poke into your life to produce fruitfulness. And I believe this morning, God is poking into some of you who have been inactive in his word. You're running around with your thoughts, but your thoughts are not his thoughts. You're running around in your ways, but your ways are not his ways. He wants you to line up your life with his life, your words with his words, his book with the book that he's writing and the tales of the things that he wants to do through you. God will speak clearly to you and powerfully. We live in a, we just had a night of worship here. Just had a night of worship and something I've noticed, you know, what's the new song? That's the big fad now. What's the new song, you know? One of the things that the people of Israel did is, is it says that they laid on couches and they sung the songs of David. Worship is wonderful, but worship is hollow unless it's songs to the God we serve. And why would I say that? Because I know that the largest most elegant song that was ever written in the history of the Bible, Psalm 119, is completely an ode to the Word of God. It's God's Word. David said, your word is sweet like honey to me. Listen, God's promise to you today, I feel this is from the Lord for you as a church, God's promise for you today, if you will get in my word, I will make it sweet. If you get into my word, I will manifest my presence to you. If you'll get into my word, I will make the confusing dark pathway clear and understandable. If you get into my word, I will get my peace in you and your anxiety and fear will lift. If you will get into my word, if you will get into my word, if you will get into my word. Read the word. Stand with me. close your eyes across this room if we just lift our hands to God why do we do this this is just a sign of surrender to say God I'm ready it's a, I'm ready to catch what you have for me I, today we're surrendering pray with me this prayer Jesus my thoughts are not your thoughts my ways are not your ways your thoughts I need your word I will read your word bring your presence as I read it put the word of God back in me give me something to share give me something to hold let your word come alive to me it might hurt, it might cut, but you're God and I'm not. Father, in Jesus' name, bring the word alive for me. Father, you've heard your people across this room in the prayer that they prayed. Jesus, I ask that you would begin to open up the word of God, and with that, the God of the word would begin to speak to them 
in ways they never imagined. Lord, I pray that Lowell Assembly of God would become the most mature church in the Northeast, not because of a great preacher, not because of a great team, not because of anything, but because we would be people of the book, that we would be in your word, and because of that, that your word would be in us. Lord, I pray right now a supernatural move in this room, that you begin to put a hunger and thirst for your word within us again, that you would begin to put a desire and a drive to hear from you again in our life, and that you would put the obedience to carry it out, Father. Lord, carry people from this church around the world in the name of Jesus. Lord, take people out of business like Amos and use them as prophets. Father, in the name of Jesus, we don't want to make a church. We want to make the kingdom of God. And it's in your book. It's in your book. It's in your book. Lord, I pray that we would not be like Samuel's day. The word would no longer be rare to Lola Assembly of God, but that the word of the Lord would come out from here to all of Israel in the name of Jesus. And it would come through these people. It would come through these people because you do not show favoritism. You call people as much as you do pastors. And if you're impartial with your judgment, Lord, then you are impartial with your anointing. And I pray that that anointing would be for this community, that we would be a church that is known to be a people of the book and the God of the book in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. You are free to come forward and pray. You're free to worship. You're free to get your children. But you are not free to ignore the word of God anymore in your life. Read the word. Read the word. Read the word. God bless you. Thank you for joining us today.